Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherwood. It's Monday, September 13th. Uh, welcome in to the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. I'm J.C. Sherbert. Good to be with you today. So, lots to talk about. Um, there's always <laughs> good news and bad news. Things are never as good as they seem. Things are never as bad as they seem. It, uh, Lou Holtz used to say that, and, and that's the truth. Uh, the Gamecocks are 2-0. After beating East Carolina twenty to seventeen on the road in Greenville, North Carolina, on Saturday afternoon, I think um, honestly it's a game that was a lot closer than it should have been. Uh, considering in two of the three phases of the game, South Carolina was far superior. Uh, the Gamecocks' offense uh, was not cohesive, uh, and uh, my biggest takeaway from this game is: Hey, look, you survived uh, at East Carolina. It's a big win. Uh, winning is the most important thing. This program has lost a lot in the last few years, even games that, uh, you know, like that App State game a couple of years ago, you know, you think about it, Gamecocks defense held them to 202 yards. They couldn't <clears throat> get the ball in the ends. I couldn't run the ball against App State for whatever reason, and they lost. But this one did not end in a loss. It ended in a big win on the road against an emotional East Carolina team that wanted to come out and take the fight to the Gamecocks. And, and, and here, here's the deal. I mean, you know, uh, one touchdown, and that's what the offense scored, was one touchdown. Uh, I was on the pass from Zeb Nolan to DeCarry and Joyner in the second half that tied the game, is not going to cut it. Uh, that's just not the type of production that you need. Uh, I know the Gamecocks have uh, limited – personnel in some areas, uh, but you can't score one touchdown and expect to win on offense against better teams on the schedule. Uh, And I don't think East Carolina is a bad football team. I actually think they'll probably rebound, fix some of their mistakes. They need to block a little better, but uh, the Gamecocks defensive line is just 
really, really good. I saw a stat today. South Carolina didn't even really blitz that much. They were getting all that pressure with just rushing three or four. Uh, I thought the secondary held up well. The linebackers played well again. Uh, but on offense, which is kind of the first, uh, you know, the first most important thing that I think everybody wants to talk about, you know, that's uh, that's the deal there. Um, so, uh, you know, it's got to get better. And, you know, the, the, there's a lot going on there. You know, I, I thought kind of midway through the game, maybe they did mix it up with uh, maybe put Jason Brown in. Um, you know, uh, but they stuck with Zeb and, you know, Zeb did make the plays that allowed them to win the football game, uh, at the end, he was much better down the stretch than he was early going. And, and, you know, one thing about Zeb Nolan, he doesn't really flinch or get rattled. Uh, I've seen some terrible takes out there about, Oh, he's scared. Or, I don't think he's scared. I think the guy is a erratic passer, uh, at times, uh, and needs to be, a little better. Uh, but I think, you know, the, if you look at him and kind of how he plays versus maybe a Colin Hill last year, which I know a lot of you want to compare it the situation to, but, you know, and, and Colin, honestly, there were some bad games, but, you know, Colin's very methodical quarterback and all that. Zeb kind of, he gets the ball out quicker. He, he's got a quicker release. Uh, they're just different players. Now, the results, just like with Colin, they'll have to get better. And this is uh, this is very important moving forward. But Zeb settled in, and I thought he played much better down the stretch, uh, even though early on there were some inexcusable passes, decisions, uh, that type of thing. I thought pass protection was average. Uh, everybody wants to pile on the offensive line. And, again, you know, I look at it. There were times Nolan was under duress early. But it held up, especially for some of those slower developing plays down the field late in the game. Uh, the run blocking until the fourth quarter was bad. Uh, you don't know how much that had to do with maybe they should have gone outside a little more because once they started running outside zone, Carolina blocked them pretty well. Uh, but it got better as the game went on. I'm, I'm not trying to find a silver lining here because uh, we've had two games and the offensive line, there, there's no question they need to play better. No question that they need to play better. Uh, you know, and, and look, if, if you put Jason Brown in, and, you know, that was my fault. Uh, and I think I posted this on the Big Spur in the game thread. Maybe you go with somebody else just because of the massive amount of struggling that was going on on the field. But you put Jason Brown in, he turns it over. And let's say it's 21-7. I mean, that's – you probably lose the football game. Uh, and I'm not saying he would have. You know, maybe he leads them down the field or whatever. But um, – you know, you worry about that, but of course, Zeb turned the ball over too early uh, in a play. I just, I'll never understand. I think he got away from him or miscommunication or whatnot. Um, but you know, I, I, I don't know. You know, maybe I was wrong about changing quarterbacks up. Not sure what's going to happen with Luke Doty this weekend, and uh, we'll see if he ends up coming back and starting. And we'll see what happens with him. But, uh, you know, if they have to go with Zeb again in Athens, obviously things have to get better and things have to change. And it starts with the guys up front and then it's Zeb. And, and then it's, you know, then it's the receivers and running backs. Because uh, I, I I don't know that you can really blame 
a lot on the Gamecocks receivers. I mean, you know, there was one play Zeb threw to his right, and you look and, you know, sometimes when you see guys on TV, you think they're open, they're not. But clearly up on the left part of your screen, Jalen Brooks was wide open. Now, you know, could he not make that pass? I don't know. I don't know what happened on that play and some others. There were some disappointing plays, but there are also some good plays. And I would encourage people to, you know, take the good with the bad. Um, I'll talk about play calling real quick because in the mailbag, there's a lot of questions about Marcus Satterfield. Do I think it's anything like, and I hear this comparison too. Okay. Kurt Roper. Um, look, were there play calling issues Saturday? Yes. Is this offense anything like what Kurt Roper was trying to do? No. Um, and I know the Gamecocks did run inside zone, probably like beating their head against the wall. But but the difference is Roper never went to anything else. And when he did, he never went back to it. I mean, there were just all kinds of issues. You know, I, I thought as a play caller, Satterfield sort of settled in at the end. I never really saw that out of Kurt Roper. Um, you know, so so look, a lot of times fans, and, and, I, and that's fine with me. I mean, it's a bottom line deal. It's either good or it's not. And if it's not, you, you tend to make these comparisons, but – Every player is different. Every coach is different. This offensive scheme is different, uh, but we'll see what happens. You know, Josh Van, uh, you know, I thought against Eastern Illinois, he looked like a different player. I thought against East Carolina, he looked like a different player. I, the fumble going in was unfortunate. Uh, the reversed call on the touchdown probably was bobbling it there. You know, it, it was a questionable call. Uh there were some worse calls. The, the Dakari and Joyner fumble, I mean, the guy was clear. He was clearly down, clearly. Now, it may be not his knee exactly, but his leg was literally laying on the field when the ball started to come, when the ball came out. So, it, it's just crazy. Uh, some of those calls were crazy. From the early targeting calls that kept getting reversed and then the replay booth craps the bet on the fumble, you know, those were just bad and ECU didn't really have any, you know, penalties. Oh, the spot on fourth and 14 when they went for the game-winning field goal, that was a little bit ridiculous as well. Uh, so, you know, look, you don't blame the officials. You know, he's kind of – there's always bad calls in SEC football games. It was an SEC crew, but it was amateur hour for most of the time there um, in Greenville, North Carolina on Saturday. Uh, you know, I, I, Josh Van, like I said, playing really well. Looks like the player that we thought he was coming out of uh, high school. Remember, he was a top 200 guy, four-star guy, big recruiting win. Uh, you know, Georgia wanted him. Uh, they were going to take either he or Kiaris Jackson, who's played pretty well for them, because uh, they were kind of the same type guy. And so uh, there we go. There we go. Um. You know, DeCarrie and Joyner played uh, better. It was good to see him catch the touchdown. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people were calling him into question last week. He rebounded with a good game. Uh, you know, I and this is my first point of sort of head-scratching stuff. I, I don't know that there's been a good feel so far this year about when to put him in the Wildcat and run it. And I think – a lot of people, when they go to that, are just assume, you know assuming he's going to keep it and run. And there's guys running free and all that. So I don't know, you know, I, you know that's one that 
you know, maybe there needs to be a little better feel uh, for when he gets in there and, you know, because when you do that, it, you know, it, it takes everything else out of rhythm uh, and you can do it, you know, but you got to kind of have a feel for it. And then, you know, it's good if it works. And it's hadn't worked first two weeks. Maybe it will moving forward. But uh, that's kind of one of those things. You know, I, I think that Jaheim Bell is one of the best players on the offense and they need to get him the ball. You know, uh, he's a player that wants the ball. He's a tough player. Uh, he blocks better than Nick Muse did this weekend. Uh, doesn't mind blocking, doesn't mind getting his face dirty. Uh, loves, you know, catch the ball. I mean, this is the second time this year, for whatever reason, there's two receivers in the same area, uh, and, and Brooks has gone up and got it. You know, of course, the first touchdown. Oh, and then the 48-yarder uh, the other day. But, you know, he, he doesn't get the ball, you know. that I mean, he's the type of guy that, you know, he's helping you in other ways, but I'd, I'd try to get him the ball more. I just think he's a, a guy that can help out tremendously, you know, as far as uh, as far as far all that goes. You know, Marion Brown got uh, some early run and got a reverse and I don't know, you know, uh, did catch a pass uh, and, and made some things happen. I'd like to see them maybe try to go downtown to him a little more, but uh, maybe it wasn't open, so who knows. The running backs, what the heck is wrong here? Uh, I don't know that it's the running backs. I, I think those of you clamoring for Kevin Harris based on last year need to understand he's been out. Uh, seven carries was probably pretty good for him. We saw one pretty big run, looked like the old Kevin Harris, like 13 yards. Other than that, six carries for 11. Wasn't much room to run, but uh, – you know, he, he's still kind of feeling his way back. And I, his workload's going to Im- improve or, or, or get bigger. Uh, you know, Marshawn Lloyd, yet again, you know, he doesn't have a lot of room to get going. When he does, he usually makes something happen. We haven't seen the big breakaway 70-yard touchdown run from him yet. But, you know, he's good for 10, 15 yards if he has room. Um, And he hadn't had room, you know. I mean – Saturday didn't have a lot of room. And then there's ball security. So you don't want to really talk about that a whole lot. But it was an issue in camp. And then almost a costly fumble late in the ball game for Lloyd. So you kind of hope he he shores that up. He's a very talented player. You know, as a Quandre White, I was disappointed that he wasn't more involved with the passing game. Um, And then he didn't have room to run either, you know. And then they kind of got away from him. So that brings me to Juju McDowell who played the best all-around game of any Gamecock running back. I, I don't know. You know, he's just kind of slippery and goes and is patient and picks the holes and then accelerates. Um, and I'll get to him on special teams in a minute. But uh, for a true freshman that's 5'9", 180, you know, that guy really has the heart of a champion. And uh, he was a difference maker at the end. That's what you want. You know, you want guys that when the chips are down – they're going to go make plays. And for a true freshman, him walking into that situation uh, and helping will the team to win, I think that's, uh, that's a good deal there. Uh, you know, and, and play calling in the run game is, is something, too, that, you know, it gets frustrating when, when something's not working and they keep going to it. I see it in the NFL sometimes, too. I see teams go to that inside zone over and over. It's just not working. And they, they keep, I, I don't know if it's that you hope – because by design, you know, if Marshawn or Lloyd or Juju McDowell or 
Kevin Harris or Zaquandre White breaks containment, you know, or they break they break some tackles and get into the secondary, they could be gone. So maybe you're just maybe it's similar to you know trying to throw it deep a lot or whatever. I, I don't know. I, it's frustrating to watch, and I know that you know it wasn't the best play calling. Uh, game for three quarters that I've seen, but credit Mark Satterfield for making the adjustments and dialing them up there at the end. Uh, you know, and, and again, I think the Kurt Roper comparisons are a little bit uh, ridiculous. I think some people are just saying that because of Satterfield's recent resume, which I don't think matters whether he's good or bad, you know, Um and I think a lot of people out there love to be right because they like kind of the comfort of, of uh, you know, a known entity, especially on offense. So um, there you go. Now, look, do things need to get better? Will there be calls for concern? Uh, if we're sitting here game five or six and you're like, wow, they keep doing the same thing, it's discombobulated. And, and that's what I was going to – the offense lacks cohesion right now, the cohesiveness, or, or lacked it against East Carolina. Um, you know, like I said, I, I don't know if, you know, running back by committee is the way they need to go. I think some of these guys need to get lathered up a little bit. Um, as you saw with Juju McDowell, once he started getting carries and kind of in the flow of the game, you know, he, he played pretty well. Um, and, and I think with White, you can you can help your passing game. Uh, with him, you know, I think Harris and Lloyd and then McDowell can 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 do different things. You know, you got a lot of versatile players on this team that are the best players. And, and this is a problem, uh, it, it, a good problem, but a problem in terms of where you put everybody, how do you allow them to impact the ball game uh, as best they can. Uh, defensive line. And, and this is the good part. I mean, everybody's a lot of gnashing of teeth about the offense. It's way over the top takes on both sides. You know, both people are like, you know, both both sides of the 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 fence here are like either this is the worst offense in the SEC outside of Vanderbilt, or it's you know, Satterfield is outstanding, and you know, it's it's because of the line. I mean, you know, th- there's all these takes, and that's fine. I mean, look, it's football. Uh, I've said many times you're guaranteed most teams 12 fall fall games, fall Saturdays or sometimes Wednesdays, Thursdays, Tuesdays, Fridays. But you're guaranteed those and and the other 353 days we're discussing things. And that's fine. That's football. I'm just cautioning everybody either way, positive or negative. You know, know, the reality is there's work to be done on offense from play calling – to run game, to pass game, to quarterback, to offensive line, uh, tight ends blocking at times. I mean, you, you know, there's – there's, yeah, it's, it's rare that you see two plays back to – you know, in back-to-back games where you got two receivers doing the same thing. Um, and are, are you – wait a minute, let me back up. Yeah, I mean, that happened Saturday, and then, well, the Jaheim Bell touchdown was intended for Newt Muse, but he was kind of in that area. So, I don't know. You know, I mean, it was Jaheim Bell's just running to the ball. I don't know. But uh, that that's a red flag as far as, you know, to, to what's going on, you know. And I think, uh, 
I think that's the thing there. You know, you got to get Kevin Harris, Marshawn Lloyd, McDowell, White. You got to get those guys going, uh, in my opinion. I mean, like I said, they're some of the best players on the team. You know, I, I don't uh, – and I don't know if it's by committee or, or how you do it, but it's, it's how you do it. Um, you know, and that needs to be solved. You know, if you got to give it to Kevin Harris 25 times – for him to grind out 125 yards, I think that's better than everybody like rushing for 3.2 yards per carry. So that's the deal there. Defensive line dominated as it should have. Like I said, you know, Jordan Strong continues to impress me. JJ Inigbare had a great sack. Zach Pickens is playing the best football of his life. I saw Jabari Ellis do some things. Boogie Huntley and Tonka Hemingway, sort of as those reserve defensive linemen, continue to do well. MJ Webb got some snaps. Um, Brad Johnson at middle linebacker has played pretty instinctive the first two weeks, I, I think, which is, you know, he, he looks like a different player because he's just out there playing. I think the mental, and I've, I've said this from the beginning, I think the last the defense was complicated. I've been told that by too many people that know football to believe otherwise. Um, and while some of the, you know, uh, alignments, I guess you call it for defense, you don't call it formations on defense, I guess alignments and concepts with this defense are the same. Uh, it's, 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 it, it's taught a lot different. And the guys on defense are like they're having fun. Uh, I'll talk about Cam Smith. I know some of you are frustrated with his personal foul penalties. And believe me, that could, in a close game like that, it could have been costly. But, you know, that can be corrected. What you don't want to do is dial him back energy-wise because he's playing like, – like, look, I expected Cam Smith to be better this year, right? Um. But I didn't expect what I've seen the first two weeks. Now, the stakes get higher next week. Georgia's got a lot more talent than East Carolina or Eastern Illinois for sure. But keep in mind, Cam Smith was a highly recruited player. The Gamecocks beat Georgia on him. Uh, you know, he, he had to redshirt his first year. And then last year, you know, the ball goes off his foot against Tennessee. He got beat against Tennessee. You know, didn't really get back in until late, got beat against Missouri early, but then kind of responded, you know, and I, th I thought he actually played pretty well uh, at the end of last year, all things considered. Well, he's playing really well now. Darius Rush, uh, <laughs> sometimes it takes guys a couple of years to find a home. I, I, I think he's held up pretty well. Marcellus Dial got in the game at corner. Really happy for Damani Staley. You know, he's a guy that takes a lot of crap. Um, I, I know that athletically he's probably not ideal to play uh, every snap, uh, especially in the SEC. But getting that pick six, man, that's a big deal for him. You know, keep in mind, Damani Staley's Deuce Staley's son, one of all-time greats. And uh, he's played his butt off for this program. Like I said, you know, is he ideal? Athletically and all that, probably not. Uh, but getting that pick six has to be a great feeling for him uh, as a lifelong Gamecock and all that. And, hey, you know, they won by three, so that was an important touchdown, obviously. Uh, defensive, uh, defensively, 
Um, you know, this is why I say this game was closer than it needed to be because, you know, defensively, South Carolina gives up a trick play on the first play of the game, and everybody wants to rush to blame Jalen Foster, and, you know, all of the blame game individually. And look, you you got to you got to play your assignment and stay at home. That's why other teams run trick plays, though. And on the first play of the game, uh, that could have happened to Alabama. I mean, it could have happened to anybody. You know, I, I don't, I, I I don't know that you expect that right away. Um, and it worked for ECU. Uh, other than that, a 12-yard drive after the – I guess is after the fumble uh, or the alleged fumble by Joyner. Uh, and then that was it. They had a 14-play, 67-yard drive in the fourth, third to go up, 17-14. But that was it. Other than that, the Gamecocks dominated the, dominated the game. On defense, special teams again made an impact, just like the week before. Uh, McDowell with a 63-yard return to set up the tying field goal, uh, and that was huge because ECU had kicked a field goal. They got the momentum. You're wondering if the offense can drive it down the field at that point or sustain a drive. And here goes Juju, boom! And then Parker White. Uh, you know, I know Parker's got some game-winning field goals in his career, but you know, getting the kicking that the tying one, I thought was, you know, almost more clutch than than the winning one. And I'll say this because uh, it, um, you know, you had a high snap on that one. Kai Kroger got it down, and then you're looking at it go end over end, and you're like, oh, this is probably he's probably going to miss, and he got it. So that tied it, and then he nailed the game winner. And South Carolina ended up winning the game. So special teams, once again, impacting the football game, just like they did against uh, Eastern Illinois with the block punts and, and all that good stuff. So two of the three phases, South Carolina did what they were supposed to do. The offense, obviously, the way that they played, that kept East Carolina in the football game. There's no question about it. And the, the, there's no reason why that should not have been better. So no excuses there. That said – one thing we've all learned from watching college football, the transitive property does not apply. Just because the Gamecocks struggle with East Carolina on offense does not mean they're going to struggle for the rest of the year. I mean, that's true. Just because the defense was dominant the first two games does not mean they're going to be dominant for the rest of the year. Uh, it's easier for folks to, to, to kind of say that, though, because if you're skewing towards the negative and you didn't like the Beamer hire or you – openly question hiring Marcus Satterfield or whatever, you're, that, that's your hope. Is like, oh, the defense hasn't played anybody yet and the offense is just bad. Because, you know, we all want to be right, right? So, uh, anyway, is a game the Gamecocks could have lost. They didn't lose. You move on. Now you got University of Georgia this weekend. Gamecocks need to go take their shot down there and see what happens. Because, uh, look, Georgia was very impressive against UAB this past weekend. They won 56 to seven. They big played UAB to death with uh, Stetson Bennett at quarterback. Uh, they're good and they're confident. You know, sometimes Georgia isn't the most confident bunch, you know, or they get overconfident or whatever. But um, they're playing right now, defensively, especially at a high level. And then the offense putting up that big number last week has to be feeling good this week. So, you know, they say you take your defense and special teams on the road. That's what the Gamecocks are going to have to do to stay in the game Saturday. 
Um, you know, we'll find out. We'll find out what happens. So we'll we'll see. Offensively, they got to correct a bunch of stuff, uh, and they got to get better. Uh, and the offensive line, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this too. I mean, look, if Jazz Turnatine can't block better, you know, maybe they need to go with Jakai Moore. Uh, give him a chance. You know, it may, if uh, Della Wanham can't block better, maybe you need to go with uh, Tyshawn Wanamaker. You know, I mean, that, that's just the bottom line. I mean, there's there's no reason why Dylan Wanham and Jazz Turnantine aren't playing better. You know, and people talk about coaching and stuff like that. I don't, I don't think it's anything coaching wise. Greg Atkins is a good coach, um, and I kind of know, you know, what they've been working on. Uh, and they just got to get a whole lot tougher and meaner. And, look, they're going to get punched in the face Saturday if they don't. Uh, you kind of sink or swim when you're playing Georgia this year with their defense. You know, and, and if you don't man up and play like you're capable of playing uh, on the offensive line Saturday, it's going to be a long day. It's going to be a long day. So uh, so that's that with that. Uh, but overall, uh, I think that, you know, you can take away from this ball game that the offense did make adjustments to go down and win the game at the end, uh, although that's a there's a red flag there. So you folks being critical of the offense, you're right. There's concern, big concern, um, and, and it's to me it's cohesiveness. There's just there was just nothing cohesive about the offense until the final drives of the football game. Nothing cohesive defensively. It's cohesive. You know, you kind of know they're going to bring pressure. You, uh, they're playing well together. Um, that's just not happening on offense right now. Special teams playing really well, you know. And, and there are, like I mentioned, some guys individually that have stepped up on offense, Josh Van being one of them. Um, Juju McDowell for a freshman stepping in, being another. They need everybody, though. And, and I think Jaheim Bell, too, even though he, he, you know, he was targeted on that play – where the interception happened early, which I thought was just a terrible throw. Um, Cause I think you get a little deeper and get it above, you know, the head of the DB, the DBs back there, you know, are you, Jaheim didn't turn around, but uh, maybe he was expecting the ball to go over, but you know, he, that's a touchdown. If, if, you know, they connect on that. Uh, wasn't a bad play call. I just, you know, but uh I'll throw Jaheim Bell in there, somebody that's playing really well at a high level. He just needs the ball. Uh, so all is not lost, but look, it, it's after two games of mediocre play up front on the offensive line. And look, uh, I'll say this too. You know, people can talk about how they're overloading and and, and stacking the box and all that. Well, you got to have a counter for that. Like, look, if that worked all the time, stacking the box, everybody stacked the box against everybody. You know, but no, teams pass the ball to get out of that situation or they run screens, which we didn't see, or draw plays. And, you know, there, there's lots of ways to back them off. I just don't know the Gamecocks ever got to do that Saturday for whatever reason. But um, outside zone ended up saving the day, the outside plays to Juju McDowell. And, you know, like I said, you, you got to get better on I mean, there's no, no, no getting around. The good news is, like I said, the transitive property doesn't work. In football, you never know from week to week, and you make adjustments. You keep coaching. You tweak the personnel, and you and you you get it right. That's coaching, and that's that's every staff. You know, 
Uh, I know that a lot of people would like for everything, myself included, everything to kind of fit in a little box like you thought in the preseason. Oh, well, yeah, this is going to be the guy here. This is going to be the guy here. Here's what we do. This is the prediction. And then everything everything works out. But that's just – the sport would not be fun if that wasn't the case. Um, so, anyway, you know, like I said, Gamecocks 2-0, you take it, you move on. You know, you, you just don't – you know, you don't dwell on, oh, should have beaten East Carolina worse because that's going to get you beat by Georgia, Kentucky, Troy maybe, I mean, whoever else you play. You got to flush – the win, be happy you won, and go in and shoot your shot as the SEC schedule kicks in the next two weeks. And then there's uh, then there's Troy and, and Vandy, or Tennessee and Vandy, and then the second half of the schedule gets really tough. But uh, we'll see what happens. Um, I, I will say this. I don't think that Saturday was the last adversity this team will face. Uh, but I think a lot of times when you watch – when teams face adversity and they ended up winning, sometimes that's a big lift. And, you know, it's always better to win, you know, if you face adversity. Uh, you know, and I can guarantee you that hopefully the players aren't focusing on the adversity, which a, a lot of fans are, and rightfully so. Like I said, it's football, and we discuss it 353 days a year, and then there's a game day, 12 of them, hopefully 13. Some teams get 14, some teams get 15. But uh, that that's kind of the focus uh, is uh, internally is that you won, how can you correct it and all that. A loss, I think, you know, would have sapped some energy after the dang game uh, for this team. But uh, I've mentioned several times in the offseason, one of my biggest concerns was can they learn how to win? Do they know how to win when adversity hits? And that's just something you don't know. Shane Beamer and his staff have done an outstanding job preparing the mental side of this team, which was damaged and broken at the end of last year. And you could see it in a lot of the players. I mean, you know, if you did, you can see it in Cam Smith, Josh Van, Darius Rush, Jalen Foster, Damani Staley, Brad Johnson, Sherrod Green. I mean, all these guys – are playing much better than they did last year. Uh, you know, problem on offense is, is, you know, the guys that you expect to play well, the offensive line, they haven't. They haven't. And they need to. And I don't know if it's play design or what. Or they just get beat or they're just, you know, not – I mean, it's it's an effort situation, I think, in a lot of cases. You know, so, and guys fundamentally – you know, sometimes aren't aren't all that good. So we'll see what happens. Like I said, I you know, I think there's a better chance of Doty starting this weekend than uh there was this past weekend. But we'll see what happens. All right. So obviously we've got a lot of mailbag questions <laughs> in the I help consulting mailbag. And if you're a business owner, you're always looking to save time and money. That's where I help consulting can help you iHelp Consulting is a Gamecock-owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. Whether you might be paying too much for credit card processing, internet insurance, or anything else, iHelp can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And remember, if iHelp can't save your business any money, you don't pay them anything. That's right. If iHelp can't help your business, it's no cost to you. 
Call or text Daniel Owens at iHelp, 843-372-5713, or visit iHelpConsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. That number again, 843-372-5713, iHelp Consulting. How can I help you? Uh, predictions last week, 24 to 16 was my prediction. 20 to 17 ended up being the final show. You know, wasn't that far off. I, I did not expect to have to kick game guys to have to kick a game winning field goal to win, but it is what it is. So, um, you know, that's the deal there. Um, okay. There are two questions. Um, or, I'm sorry, pardon me. Uh, there are uh, two ways to get into the iHelp Consulting mailbag. First is to tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Uh, follow that Twitter account. Also follow Inside the Gamecocks on Instagram. Has had some stuff there recently. Uh, and then Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com to get into the iHelp Consulting mailbag. Um, all right, so here we go. We got some questions here. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, okay. This came in late, and um, I'm just gonna I'll go ahead and answer it. He asked if, considering it's a new game, ECU's got a mobile quarterback. I didn't see the mobile quarterback too much. Um, running wise on Saturday, do you think we'll rotate D lineman more to stay fresh? Yes, and they did. Like I said, I mentioned I saw MJ Webb in there, I think he was in there on the pick six, so they went deep. Uh, at D tackle and end, uh, and you know they're they're solid four deep at end. You got Birch, you got Sterling, you got Enigbari, you got Strong. Uh, but then tackle wise, you know you, you got an MJ Webb in there, like I mentioned, Boogie Huntley and Taka Hemingway, those guys. Um, during the game, Royal Spur says, looking for a late fourth quarter big defensive play. Offensive line will already be wiped out by halftime. Uh, Hunting Birdie says, listening from Houston, Texas. Thank you so much. Dylan, he's a serious question. How much better is this offense with Doty? I understand he's definitely better than Zeb, but score-wise against ECU, is that much of a difference? I really don't know. Well, well you know, I don't know either. But you, you got to hope that some of those passes they didn't connect on, Doty gets downfield. You know, I think a big – key to Doty's success this season or not is knowing when to run and how to run. I think last year, you know, he can run. He's fast. But, you know, sometimes last last season – and I think last season was basically a throwaway year by the time he got in, right? But um, I, I do think that, you know, finding those creases uh, and against East Carolina when they were overloading things and things like that, you know, you can sometimes run away from it and get first downs and scramble out, especially if there's nothing down the field. Uh, you know, as far as throwing the ball goes, I, I think Doty's got a good arm. Uh, he's got to get his feet set, though. And so I, I don't know that Saturday – I mean, I, you know, I could see it both ways. I could see uh, there being some mistakes. Uh, I, I could see Doty maybe trying to take off and run against pressure instead of hanging in there like Zeb did and completing passes down the field. I mean, I, I don't know. I can see it both ways. I do think moving forward, the offense really has a better chance with Doty quarterback. And I, and, and we've known that, you know. 
Uh, Zeb's a great story. Zeb is holding it together. Zeb's 2-0, and you know. He's only thrown the one pick. He's thrown some bad passes. Don't get me wrong. Uh, should have played better. Or could have played better. Could have had more. But uh, Luke Doty, there's a reason he's been the starting quarterback. There's a reason he was a top 100 prospect coming out of Myrtle Beach High School. Uh, you know, I, I think people get too caught up uh, in last season. And then I think the spring game has been one of the most overblown uh, scrimmages in the history of South Carolina football. I think, you know, just, just reading the tea leaves and the, the fan base out there. Now, look, like I said, I was sort of thinking, maybe, well, maybe you put Jason Brown in and maybe I was drinking the Jason Brown Kool-Aid a little bit. Cause it's like, well, he's got a lot, kind of a live arm, but you know, then again, it's uh, you never know that um, you never know what would really would have happened had you put Brown in. So after Zeb settled in, made the plays necessary to win the game, I was fine with that. Dylan, thank you so much. Uh, you know, as far as the offense with ECU, I don't know if it's that much to I know moving forward, they need Luke Doty to be back. You know, I, I think that's when you talk about the plan for the season and, and all that good stuff, and it's not, not just his running ability, but, you know, if, if, if Doty can run, okay. And, and like I said, that, that part of his game, everybody's like, Oh, he can run. Now I thought, thought that needed a lot of improvement last year. Uh, if he can run and, and, and I'm not talking about, is he healthy enough to run? That's a different, different deal. Yeah. I think with, with the foot, the plant foot like that, if he's not a hundred percent, uh, your passing game is going to be way off too, because when his fundamentals leave him, he's not, he's can't, it's not going to happen. You know, uh, you, 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 you have confidence in, in Luke Doty. If he plants fundamentals are there, throws the ball, uh, better arm than Zeb, uh, I think more consistent, but you want him to get inconsistent real quick, have his footwork get off. That's the bottom line. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. So, so we'll see. I do think moving forward, it's good to get Luke Doty back. If Zeb's the quarterback this weekend, you know, you just go shoot your shot and hope for better things out of the offense. Hope the run game gets going against the Bulldogs, which is easier said than done. But, uh, you know, I look at Clemson, and they didn't really try to run it against UGA. If you, if you look back, Dabo Sweeney and Tony Elliott talked about that after the game. So, I don't know. Um, Rob says uh, he's got a question. Thank you, Rob, for tweeting in. JC, been holding this question for about a week. Hate these questions when media ask coaches because they can't really answer. But I want to hear it from you. What is considered positive for this team against Georgia? Points or yards gained or allowed that we can feel good about? Not in a moral victories, but want to see some competition and semblance of hope that we're not wasting our time tuning in Saturday. Thought maybe we managed to compete early and finish maybe around a 42-20 loss. But if we get the O-line play we saw today, we won't cross the 50. I agree with all of that. And, and I'm saying I don't I don't know that you – I mean, I, I, I don't know. You know, I have a suspicion South Carolina's defensive line is going to – make some good plays Saturday. Uh, I, I, I think that, you know, 
it's kind of a double standard sometimes because a lot of fans, Gamecock fans, and I'm not saying you do this, Rob, but a lot of Gamecock fans think that, you know, if you don't have star ratings by your name, like Clemson and Georgia and these other schools, uh, and of course they probably, you know, they didn't watch Arkansas and Texas, uh, that you're not that good. Well, then if you believe that, you know, and, and it's the same crowd that says, I don't know if the D line can hold up against Georgia, you know. And well, if you believe the star thing, you got two five stars, you got a guy Alabama had committed in Sterling, you've got JJ and Igbar as a four star and an all SEC player. You got two four stars, defensive tackle, a second unit. I mean, <laughs> so which is it? Okay. Is it just because they play for South Carolina? Because, you know, that's something a lot of people gripe about too. So, uh, I have a suspicion South Carolina's D line uh, is gonna is gonna make some plays Saturday. Now, there's the rest of the team. Um, do I think South Carolina's secondary should be fearful of Georgia's passing attack? Probably not. Although Stetson Bennett played really really well, and they big played UAB to death. Uh, and they've got more talent at receiver, probably a lot more talent than Eastern Illinois for sure. And probably more than East Carolina, you know, I, I think. I mean, definitely. I mean, you, you got to give Georgia's receivers credit. Um, Zamir White, James Cook, McIntosh, uh, Kenny Milton at running back. Georgia's got another stable of backs like they always do, but it's going to be important to stop the run in this game because uh, Georgia probably come out and try to run it or, I don't know, maybe they'll try to throw it just because, you know – if you're Will Muschamp and talking in the staff meeting over there to Kirby Smart, you're probably like, well, all the secondary guys are gone. But I think South Carolina's secondary has shown up the first two games with something to prove. I I, I like the way they're – I mean, they're, they're tackling better than any first two games secondary better than, than they have. And, and that wasn't always the case, even against bad teams, guys. And even against your, your, your Charleston Southerns and Coastals of the world, the, the secondary wasn't exactly coming up and popping people. So, but I, I don't, I don't want to say points or yards. I, statistics are, I, I don't think it matters. I, I think if you're South Carolina, what you want to do is after it's all over, say we went in there and competed. You know, no matter what the score is, we competed our butts off. And I, I think that either way, you pull a Titanic upset as a 30-point underdog, you got to get ready for Kentucky. You lose by 30, 45 points, ugly game, you got to get ready for Kentucky. Regardless, you got to get ready for Kentucky. Um, Kentucky with a win over Missouri Saturday night. I thought their offense looked uh, really good against a Missouri defense that's got some issues. Um, thought Missouri's passing game – was really good against Kentucky's defense. Uh, thought those two teams offensively were impressive. Got some questions about the defenses for both. Uh, so Kentucky pulls out a close home win over Missouri. Now, there's some people out there that watch that game that are, like, scared of Kentucky and Missouri. They, look, this is the same Kentucky-Missouri game that's been played seven out of the last eight times. Go look at their series history. It's always close. It's all kind of like Carolina, Tennessee. There's always something surprising that happens. It never goes like you think. Uh, that's Kentucky and Missouri. And, and you know, a lot of times they don't play till later in the year, so you don't really get the spotlight on them. But th this is nothing that 
hasn't happened before uh, in this uh, in this series. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, it's just how it is. I mean, it's um, it's a it's a game that I think was important. I think both have designs on you know being you know challenging Georgia for the division, but. So you look at it, all right. So Kentucky wins 35-28 this time. Last year, Missouri held the ball for 42 minutes and won 20 to 10. In 2019, Kentucky beat Missouri pretty good, 29 to 7. 2018, it was a 15 to 14 defensive struggle. Kentucky was lucky to win. 2017, 40 to 34, similar to the game the other night. Uh, and all that. And it's kind of crazy because Missouri came into the league and won the first three against Kentucky, but just sort of like uh, Stoops changed the daggum series against Carolina. He's changed it with Missouri too. They've now won six of seven. Um, but yeah, like I said, the, uh, Kentucky, Missouri was this, this, I've watched that game before, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't think there was really a whole lot of difference, uh, you know, I, I, and I do like, Kentucky's approach on offense. Uh, I think their quarterback Levis has a really strong arm. They've got some weapons. You got to stop Chris Rodriguez. Uh, you got to stop Wondell Robinson uh, and some of the other receivers they have when they go vertical. But you know, I, it's not like I look at that game in two weeks going, "Oh man," you know. Other than it is Kentucky, and they're going to come up with a lot of confidence against South Carolina. But that game's at home. In fact, we're going to get the game time announcement here pretty soon. So, so we'll see uh, right now. But thanks, Rob, for your question. Josh says, I know it's only been two games, but in recent history, it's not on our side. But is Josh Van our go-to number one receiver now? I'm glad to finally see him step up and play like he's supposed to. Hopefully he keeps it up for the rest of the season. Yeah, but they need one more. I mean, they need, they need more than Josh Van, but certainly his production the first two games – you know, wasn't tar- you know, when he was targeted in the first game, he, you know, two for 27 and a touchdown. And then the big game, you, you sort of want, you know, you, you want those touchdowns to be touchdowns. Because that would have been like a monster, monster game, two touchdown pass. I mean, you know, he, he'd have had one of the better receiving games they've had in a while at South Carolina. But look, man, he's always been talented. He's healthy. Got a new coach. The mental side of the game's coming on for him. Yeah, Josh Mann's probably number one guy. He's got to go into his home state Saturday like a lot of these guys and, and continue to perform well. Now, I'll say this, too. Uh, right now, I think Josh, number one guy. And, but but when you change quarterbacks sometimes, I mean, this even happened with, like, Connor Shaw and Alshon Jeffrey. You know, Steven Garcia was kind of in a groove with Alshon throwing it up to him. Connor takes over, and he's spreading it out a little more. So, sometimes quarterback play – you know, you, you don't know. Maybe maybe he ends up, uh, I don't know, you know, being the number two if somebody else emerges, if there's a quarterback change or, or, or whatever. But, yeah, you, you got to really circle Josh. And uh, Josh, <laughs> uh, as a guy that's been a surprise, he and Brad Johnson uh, on defense, I think, you know, those are two guys, highly rated guys coming out expectations have been higher than how they performed, uh, but he's, they're performing. So after two games, uh, Riddle says, Hey, another 
question, any insight to where our guy Kevion Mullins has been? I remember him last year was catching against LSU. Looks like he was coming on before he got hurt. I guessing he's been hurt or possibly COVID protocol. Now nah, they're just, I mean, you don't take Jaheim Bell off the field. They don't want to take Nate Muse off the field. You know, EJ Jenkins is a guy that needs to practice better to get back out, but he's good. You know, and and, and this is something though that I've been concerned about, not, not concerned. I don't want to say concerned. This is something I've been kind of in my gut thinking about is after spring through the is okay, you know, the tight ends. Some of these guys are receivers. I mean, you know, so let, let's be honest. They can like Jaheim Bell's a good blocker or whatever, but some of these guys are receivers and uh it can help your passing game, but they're on the bench and you know, or guys not getting open or whatever. Uh Mullins isn't one of those guys. He's he's kind of been at an H back spot. Um, and he's just behind uh, other players, unless there's some kind of injury or something or COVID that I don't know about. Um, you know, and, and I agree. Uh, last year, LSU game, he was coming on, then he gets hurt. So there we go. Uh, but uh, that's that's it. He's either behind other – unless there's something I don't know about just behind other people. Oh, man. 30-point spread in UGA, you see, is perplexing. UGA is only won by South Carolina by 30-plus since Gamecocks joined the SEC. South Carolina has solid defensive line, and they'll try to shorten the game. One game versus UBA, UAB, UBA. Does not have me convinced Kirby's mediocre offense is a thing of the past. 30-point spread is what I would expect for Bama Vandy, but UGA does not have Bama's offense. South Carolina's not Vandy. I expect the spread to be in low mid-20s. I think South Carolina can somewhat linger in this game 14, 20 points away from UGA. Yeah, I think so. You know, you, you got to avoid the explosive plays in the passing game. Um, and, by the way, this question came in from Ray. Uh, you know, I don't know why this. So, I mean, I, yeah, I was surprised at the spread too. Vegas didn't think a whole lot of the game. <laughs> you know, you got the under over, over under. Um, and Georgia's a powerful, good football team, you know, but, but we'll see. And I'll say this too, guys, if you, if you watch people watch college football, defense is back. Uh, you know, Texas A&M beat Colorado 10 to 7 this past weekend. Uh the Georgia Clemson game was 10 to 3. Uh you know, uh Ohio State people are ripping their defense this week because they gave up 35 to Oregon. Um Penn State Wisconsin was 16-10. I guarantee that Penn State Auburn game is probably going to be pretty pretty tight uh is my opinion. But uh and low scoring by the way. So, uh, you know, this is not last year, uh, which, you know, as I suspected, but I didn't know for sure. Cause you just don't know. Or I was like last year watching games and a lot of them ended up 45 to 28 or 52, 24. And I'm like, is this the beginning of the sec and other conferences becoming the big 12? No. So far through two weeks, that answer is a resounding no. <laughs> defenses are back uh and georgia's got the right now the best defense in the country so you know that's the thing so how good is south carolina's defense and can they keep them in the ball game uh and can south carolina muster enough offense or big plays on special teams 
I mean, we're two weeks into the season now, guys, and um, special teams has impacted both games in a big way. And South Carolina has two defensive touchdowns, pick sixes by guys that aren't defensive backs. Damani Staley and Jordan Birch, two Columbia kids. So that helps when that happens. So if you get that, you know, maybe the, the, some, you catch them in the right look and they throw it into traffic, pop, pop pops up, you get a pick six. I mean, stuff like that happens for the Gamecocks. Uh, it, it could be closer. It could be closer than people expect. I, I don't, you know, I, I and who knows? I mean, you know, you, you look at who South Carolina, Georgia both have played. I, you know, I, I definitely think South Carolina – uh, is not going to abandon the run like Clemson did. Now, can they run it on Clemson's def- on Georgia's defense? I don't know. But I, I can't see a situation where, you know, you look up and I think Clemson ran it, what, 10, 11 times and got sacked a bunch. They two or 20, I think it's 21 total attempts for two yards against that D. I, I think South Carolina will try to run it a little more, be a little more deliberate offensively and, you know, they do that. Defense shows up. You never know what could happen. All right. Got uh, 10 questions in the uh, I Help Consulting mailbag. Uh, 10 questions in the actual inbox. First one comes in from Jeff. Do we not have to play one other South Carolina school every year besides our annual Clemson matchup? I thought the South Carolina legislator made it a loss. These other smaller schools could benefit with the cat with the cash from the cash. I'm with you. The heck with going on the road to pay for an embarrassing loss. Go Cox. Um, no, that's not a law. And it's funny. I, I found out that like the Clemson, South Carolina alleged law, they have to play in football every year. is not a law. It was a resolution, non-binding. So no, they don't. Well, Eric Hyman and Steve Spurrier, when they kind of set out the schedule and Clemson and I guess it was either Dabo or Bowden won when uh, Terry Down Phillips was there. They all kind of got together and were like, all right, we're going to start playing the uh, FCS teams in state because, you know, you're going to go pay at Eastern Illinois, whatever you paid them to come in. Well, why not keep that money in state? You can also, you also don't have to pay them as much. You know, you could pay an in state FCS team to drive down for the day, and I think it's around three fifty five to 400000 Whereas you're getting well over a million uh, for FCS out of state or a group of five. Uh, those group of five teams really are expensive to play. Um, but yeah, that's never been a law, Jeff, uh, as far as I know. Well, it's, it's, it's never been a law. Spence told you Satterfield. I uh, sent this at 1240, 40 minutes into the game. Was Roper two butt, two butt 2.0 last week and got mocked. And not defended by you, but we'll stand by my comments. Hopefully you can defend me a little bit on this. Uh, I, I'll say this. I, I Like I said, I don't see a lot similar to Kurt Roper. Uh, but I do think the offense right now lacks cohesion. That's including play calling. And it has to change. Um, but I'm not into – you're never going to see me like rip somebody, talk question the hire, all that good stuff. Uh, in this situation right now, I'm just not going to do it because I'll look, I, I could look really stupid, you know? Um, and 
I think that, you know, one thing people may do, which would be really stupid on their part, is because I'm not sitting here wanting to fire somebody after two games, uh, and I'm just kind of saying it is what it is. It lacks cohesion. They need to get better. Uh, that I'm somehow like saying Marcus Satterfield, Sean McVay, and I'm not. I'm just being like real about it. You know, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, throw anybody under the bus. You know, I, and like Will Muschamp, honest to God, besides the people that like imagined in their head, uh, you know, that the, the, no matter, you know, what he did, you know, it doesn't matter because he, he lost at Florida. So therefore, you know, he's bad. And these are the same people that look and think that, you know, there's no talent on the roster and, oh, my God, you know. And look, Carolina may get blown out Saturday. That doesn't mean, you know, that, that there's no talent on the roster. That was just ridiculous. Um, I mean, you know, I, I don't – I mean, look at the defensive line he left. I mean, you know, yes, there's some spots that leave a lot to be desired, without question. But this is nothing, you know – like the Brad Scott changeover, Spurrier inherited less talent. Will Muschamp certainly did. So, but look, I mean, and here's the thing. Up until the point Muschamp lost to Tennessee in 2019, you know, you had some questions, no doubt. Uh, but you look and you go, well, they, you know, they went to a bowl three straight years. I mean, you know, they were three and nine when he took over. The North Carolina loss is inexcusable. The Missouri loss in 2019 was inexcusable. But then you go and you you snap the streak against Kentucky and you beat Georgia. And then the refs cost you in that Florida game, which I think part of that was focusing on that Florida game call. Uh, Well, then you got beat by Tennessee like that. It's time to go. You know, and I said it. I was like, look, you, you can't survive a disastrous season in the SEC when you weren't a popular hire to begin with. And I stood by that. They kept him. You know, he signed a pretty good class for 2020, which may end up working out better. Uh, I thought he did a good job managing the COVID situation, all the crap that was going on summer of 2020 with the football team. Then he fell on your face again, and the defense stopped playing. So it's time to go, and he he left. But, you know, I wasn't going to call for his head after this Virginia Bowl loss where best player on the team opted out. It's not a very good bowl. Now, that was an inexcusable loss, as was the North Carolina loss in Charlotte. But it wasn't quite time to go. And so you're never going to hear me say it's time to go until it's time to go. (laughs) Period. Bottom line. Tim says, all right, JC, I had to get an email off before I get too far gone in the beer after Gamecock win. Beer always tastes better after Gamecock win. We can zeb this and zeb that all day long, but a lot of his bad play was contributed to bad offensive line play. He made some bad decisions that was on him, but if you can't get a push and a run game established, he can only do so much. I give Zeb credit. He fought through adversity, made some plays. That was enough to win. I pray that our improved offensive line as the game went on, but was it that the DCU D-line wore down at the end of the game, much like EIU did last week. I watched the EIU game replay last week, thought to myself we could be in trouble against ECU. That offensive line looked worse than I thought in the replay. 
the early Spurrier years, we started out very similar, but they made moves and improved throughout the season. Remember in 05, we had two walk-ons starting by the end of the year, Thomas Coleman and Seth Edwards. They constantly made adjustments till they found something that worked. I hope Beamer and staff will do the same. I agree. Like, look, you got to love Jazz turning time at six, seven, three, and see, this is the difference too. South Carolina's guards, that's so Spurrier years under John Hunt. I mean, he, he, they were awful. I mean, athletically, whatever. You know, you compare those guys to Jovan Quinn and Jalen Nichols. I mean, you're like, well, why aren't, why aren't things better? But look. If uh, if they're not better, if you know, then it's time to try somebody else. I think Greg Atkins agrees. Sometimes maybe it's just the best they have. I, I don't know. I'm stunned at the way they've played. I'm stunned at the way they've played the first two games. There was really no. There's really no reason for them to not be better. No reason. Uh, you know, they needed a new voice in the room besides Wolford. I think South Carolina would probably had some transfers had that not happened. Uh, Atkins so far overwhelmingly positive uh, as a coach. Uh, I, I've heard for weeks that he wants them to be more mean, but I'm like, well, they, you know, good. They, they can go play mean, but they, 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 you know, there were times last year when they played really well, 2019 too. So especially run blocking, I mean, that's the shocker here. Everybody talked about pass protection uh, all summer, uh, but this team can run block. You know, now people are saying, well, it's Bobo's schemes. Well, I told you Bobo had good play calling last year, in the, especially in the run game. Um, people didn't want to believe me, but uh, that's that's the case, you know. Um, he says, I'm very happy with the way the defense played. Tim goes on, wide receivers aren't great, but they're playing at a much higher level this year. 46 years old, seen a lot of bad game caught football. Also seen some bad games against ECU over the years. So I'm happy with this win, especially after play, having to play up in Greenville. Go Cox, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Tim also says the one thing that bothers me today is seeing people uh, saying that a must-champ coach team wouldn't win the game today, came back and beat ECU in 2016, La Tech in 2017. I'm a Beamer guy, but this is not a defining win for our program. UK-Missouri games are more than defining wins versus a Conference USA game. Yeah, they're in the American, but same thing. Uh, or same thing, it was, you know, this was a survival win. I'm proud of it, but let's not get over dramatic about a win, Tim. I agree, and, you know, you, you look back on, on the Muschamp era, and, yeah, they survived Louisiana Tech. They survived ECU in 2016, though I'm not sure. Uh, that, that 2016 team was like living on the edge early with the games they won because they had no offense. No offense, right? And not a chance either till, till Jake got in and, and Rico got healthy and Debo got healthy and Brian, you know, then, then you had something. But, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, people are probably thinking about some of the close losses down the stretch with Muschamp, like the App State game, that kind of thing. It ended up last year, no losses. I mean, Tennessee – in, in 2020. But after that, none of the losses were close. I mean, even Ole Miss was a shootout. Carolina had a four point. They ended up losing by 17. So thank you. Uh, the iHealth Consulting mailbag rolls on. Hudson says the cardiac cock strike again, but on a serious note, a win is a win. It's two and up. Glad to see the team battle back and keep fighting all the game. A breath of fresh air 
to not see them give up after being down. I'll say this too, you know, in the defense too, a lot of times, you know, and, and, I, and I was nervous about this because if I'm not mistaken, you know, Carolina ties the game. Nice pass from Nolan to Joyner. Great catch by Joyner. Offensive touchdown, only one of the game. And East Carolina goes on a drive. And I'm like, this happened in the Muschamp era on defense over and over again. Offense would finally break three, score a touchdown. And then the other team's offense, which had been being shut down for the last few series, comes right back, goes right down the field. And uh, I think East Carolina, that, that was a field goal drive. But if you, th- if you think about that drive, I mean, they were helped by a pretty generous spot. Um, you know, it, it, it was a 14-play, 67-yard drive for a field goal. Uh, and they hit some, you know. And, but the defense still, you know, the ECU's driving. They still bowed up and stopped them, held them to a field goal. So there's some different resiliency on defense, in my opinion. And that was very frustrating to watch the last few years. You'd see Carolina's offense do something well, touchdown, momentum's on their side, and then, boom, the other team just comes right back after being shut down, you know. Uh, And a lot of times that's mental. And and so mentally I thought the defense played really tough. Uh, Ready to get Doty back out there, he says, in your opinion, what changes do we see schematically with Doty back there? Look forward to a big one at UGA and hoping we can improve week to week. Go Cox. Um, Schematically, I just, uh, you know, you'll have a quarterback run game with this. Uh, You could run some zone read with him where he reads the end and crashing down. He can go around the edge, Uh, you know, He's going to have to be fast because Georgia's defense is big and fast. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know as far as like getting out of the pocket and things like that, if, if much is going to change. Um, you know, I, I think a more, you know, you, you just you have another option down there or in there when the quarterback can run. Now, I think everybody and their brother at the University of Georgia probably knows that. And I think if you're Georgia, the game plan this weekend is simple. You load the box, you put a spy on Doty, you, you, you tell him, you know, you're going to really have to be creative to run the football at all until you can show you can beat me down the field passing. And I think that's what every team that plays South Carolina is going to do. Now, you know, look at East Carolina, they did that, but there were some stuff open down the field. I mean, Zeb hit a few, but there was more than that more low-hanging fruit available. And, and I, I think we could continue to see that. Um, and we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. Uh, thanks, Hudson. Frank says, huge fan of the podcast. Checking in from Fairfield, Connecticut. Yeah. So we got a Houston, Texas, a Fairfield, Connecticut. Hope things are well up there. After watching the game versus ECU, I was impressed with Juju, but found myself – Wondering if we were putting Harris in the best position to succeed. Succeed. Do you think we may see more of Harris dotting the eye in upcoming games instead of running out of the shotgun? Also, having Zeb run zone reads with no threat to keep it was giving me rope for flashbacks. I know it makes sense with Doty in the game. What's the point in running zone read with a slow quarterback? Thanks and go Cox. Well, it just depends on what they were doing. So there's the inside zone, which is not a read. It's a they're running the NFL a lot. It, you know, the, the quarterback never keeps it. It's just a 
base handoff zone play. Then there's the zone read. I don't know what exactly they were doing uh, as far as that goes. But your inside zone plays, my understanding is, is when you tag the read onto it and you give the quarterback the option to pull it and run, it's a much more effective play. You know, so I get it. But there's a lot of teams that run inside zone without ever having the quarterback pull. Um, and my understanding is that's what they were doing. So um, as far as Harris goes, uh, again, I think wait and see. He missed most of spring, all of fall camp. He's a hard worker. Um, I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't see going into that game and telling him, all right, you're gonna run it 25 times. Now, that's going into the game. <laughs> Obviously, they didn't go very far. But uh, I, I think you got to give him a chance to kind of get lathered up. And I think, you know, I think he'll probably start this weekend, to be honest. Uh, and I think you'll see him get a lot of carries against Georgia. Uh, I would. I mean, the guy has shown that even with stack boxes and things like that, at times he could generate plays. Now, I'll say this, folks, uh, you know, Harris had some huge games last year running the ball statistically, but Missouri stacked the box. He didn't go very far. Texas A&M dominated the defense, the line of scrimmage. He didn't go very far. Uh, Georgia, he didn't go very far. Uh, I don't know what exactly Kentucky was doing in that game. He did go far in that one. But, you know, he's not a guy that, you know, and, and Marcus Lattimore, same way. I mean, Marcus had his games where everybody just keyed on him and if the Gamecocks couldn't throw it. You know, they weren't very good on offense. But, uh, you know, so that's the deal there uh, with all that. So, I, you know, I, the inside zone zone reads, two, they're, they're two different things. But I, I will say just my understanding is, is when you can run the inside zone, and you, but you have a read tacked onto it, in other words, your quarterback's a threat to keep it, it's a much more effective run. Uh, unless you just have overwhelming talent. Uh, and, and your middle of your offensive line's getting a big push, which is going to be really hard if the offensive line doesn't play better Saturday because they got this Jordan Davis kid that's like about 800 pounds in the middle of Georgia's defense. But, look, I mean, that, that's that's the bottom line with that. So, and, and I thought, you know, in that game against ECU, man, I, I was sitting there thinking, where's the outside zone running? Because App State was very successful doing that. Now, App State, that is what they do over and over and over again. That's kind of the, what they do with their program. Um, Carolina went to it late. It worked, thankfully, with Juju McDowell. Um, and, and, look, Juju is feeling the game better than any of the other backs. So, I don't, I don't have a problem with putting him in, seeing what he can do. Uh, so far this year, I think he's outplayed the other backs, to be honest. Um but, you know, you, you got to get Marshawn Lloyd and Kevin Harris going. And, and they got to use the Quandre as, you know, sort of what he is, which is a, kind of an all-purpose guy that you can move around, that can make plays, that, that's tough, that's a glue guy for the team. Uh, but but they got to get they got to get Harris and Lloyd going. Those are the guys that if you're going to have a really good running game this year, uh, the O-line's got to get better and – Lloyd and Harris, I think, have to get going. 
All right, Kevin says, Bates West Kevin. Checking in from Kyoto, Japan. Ha! Says it, we're 13 hours ahead. So when it's a noon kickoff, like the ECU game, that's Sunday at 1 a.m. kickoff, but I'm glad I didn't miss it. Hard fault, well-deserved one on the road. Not perfect, but a lot of reasons to be optimistic for close games and more wins. Look forward to seeing what you have to say about it. And I thought the refs were out, refs were out to hose us. Fortunately, the Gamecocks prevailed. Bates West, Kevin. Yeah, Kevin, I agree. I, I'm terribly officiated ball game uh, at key moments, at key moments. And I, I thought it was very unfortunate, but I, I had a bad feeling about it from the early targeting crap that wasn't, you know, because you, you, if you've got a ref out there, it's the first part of the game, and he's going he's to be trigger happy with the, the targeting calls. Uh, which were overturned, you know, then you know that guy's kind of looking for stuff, you know, I, in my opinion. Uh, and we could talk all day about targeting and all that. Kevin, thanks for checking in from Japan. Appreciate it. Um, hey, JC, I know it was my email that pop- prompted your poll questions. But for your records, I wanted to know that I'm an out-of-state listener here in Denver, Colorado. Been here 10 years. Love this connection to my home state. Also, I'm a lawyer used to listening to BS, and I've listened to probably every Gamecock podcast, and you're the best. Thanks for the great content. Thank you so much, Eric. I appreciate that. So we got Denver, Colorado, Japan, Fairfield, Connecticut, Houston, Texas, a national audience. Wow. Wow. Thanks, guys. Tristan says, I got so much to say and ask, I don't know where to start. I'll focus on the elephant. What do you see as the problem of the line? Is it size? No. Is it strength? No. Is it technique? Yes. Is it scheme? Yes. The plays themselves? Yes. I'm an X's nose guy, but I'm having trouble believing what I'm seeing. seeing. Even with all-out blitzes, we should be better, much better. Side note, props to the ECU game plan. It was spot on. feel like we may need to use it against UGA. <laughs> um, yeah. I. You know, I, I think it's – I think guys, when, when you focus on them individually on missed blocks, their technique leaves them. It's not size or strength. I mean, these guys, they're all monsters. Uh, some of the plays, I think, you, you know, you should be able to combat it. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe, maybe they're like, okay, well, you know, we should be able to get up and run it with our gigantic offensive line. And some plays, honestly, the tight ends miss blocks. The running backs miss blocks. I mean, uh, and I did think the pass pro – Held up decently well, especially as the game went on. But you know, I, I don't know. I, 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 that's a mystery to me. Like I said, they don't start playing better. Like they, let, let's say the Georgia game's embarrassing, and players get hurt or whatever. You, you need to bend. Greg Atkins has to, even if the guys behind them are not practicing as well. You got to, you got to get some other guys a shot. You know, I like a guy like Vinny Murphy. I know he's been wanting his shot for a while. I know Ja'Kai Moore's worked hard to get back for Sean Lee. As a player, both staffs have been high on. Tyshawn Wanamaker. I mean, give those guys a chance. I mean, that's the only thing you can do, I think, if the game performance continues to be like that. Um, Because there's no excuse. No excuse. Uh, Even with everybody trying to kind of overwhelm them. Because that's what Georgia's going to do, guys. You don't think Georgia's looking at it going, well, we'll just – 
you know, see if they can beat us throwing and get a bunch of guys up around the line of scrimmage and make it difficult and not let them run the ball. That's exactly what Georgia's going to do. Kentucky's going to do that. Troy's going to do that. Until things change, they're going to do that. So that's the deal there. Thanks so much, Tristan. And we're finally ending on this note. Again, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or tweet at the Big Spur Pod. USC 120 says, are you beginning to wonder if Beamer made the same mistake hiring Satterfield that Muschamp did with Roper? <laughs> I'm not ready to go there, man. I, you know, I, and I think this, here's some advice for all Gamecock fans. The Will Muschamp era is over, okay? It's over. It's over, okay? It's done. He's gone. There's one coach that remains, Mike Peterson. And last time I checked, his position was playing pretty well. His recruiting is really well. Uh, and he's a guy that, believe it or not, uh, you know, because I know everybody wants to trash the entire old staff, you know, he's a guy that's kind of held things together or, or during that transition and all that. Uh, tremendous asset to this football program. But they're all gone, guys. You know, and, and every day, you know, oh, same thing as Colin Hill. You know, so even if you're a conspiracy theorist, which there are many when it comes to the quarterback spot at South Carolina, if you're a conspiracy theorist and you believe that Jake Bentley only played because his dad was on staff, which is not true, it's, that's dumb. Um, if you believe that, that Colin Hill uh, started last year because of a conspiracy theory or conspiracy to bench Ryan Holinsky because Bobo personally didn't like him. That's wrong too. But even if you believe all that, you know, uh, and those guys are all gone. Those guys are gone. So, so, so what you're taking is a conspiracy that, you know, must be some sort of like magical mystical deal as it relates to South Carolina specifically, no matter who's in the building? Because that's the only logical explanation. If this Muschamp, therefore Beamer, et cetera, you know, Muschamp's gone. If Shane Beamer made a bad hire at offensive coordinator, which there, there's there's not, you know, there's been two. I don't know. The, the play calling is Eastern Illinois. I didn't, I didn't, that wasn't a big deal. I, mean, I, I thought, and, and I thought for three quarters, two and a half quarters or so at ECU, you're wondering about the cohesiveness, wondering what they're thinking, what's the thought process, because things just weren't working. You know, they weren't working. It seemed discombobulated. You know, it, it, they couldn't run the ball. I mean, it, there was just a lot of surprises there. And then they settled in and, and played pretty well. Um. But, but there's not enough of a body of work right now to say either way. Do I have concerns about it? Yeah. I think they almost need to maybe pare it down a little. Does that make sense? Um, and definitely don't just run up the middle and bang your head against the wall. Unless your guards and center are getting a big push and all that. Uh, and I would like to see, like a lot of people, when teams play Carolina like ECU did, which they're going to, uh, I'd like to see some uh, what I call get back plays. Get back, boom, you know, throw it over the top. Get back, boom, here's a screen. Bang, here's a draw play. 
You know, you want to rush upfield like that and get over aggressive, we're going to use it against you. And, you know, Carolina, if you remember, and I just said those coaches are gone, Steve Spurrier is gone. But one of the things he was pretty good at doing was, you know, and they go and play Clemson during the Bowden era. And Clemson's defensive line, big athletics, Gaines Adams, Phillip Merling, all those guys. And one of the reasons the play calling in those games was so good is, is Spurrier was like, all right, well, they're going to rush up. And so we're going to go – this is how you beat a team like that. Um, and I think that's the truth. I think you, you have to have the ability to back them off because, you know, once you back them off, then you can start running it again. But um, I just don't think it's time – like I said, you know, when it's time – I'll tell you, if it if it ever becomes time. Uh, I think that, you know, I didn't see anything bad against Eastern Illinois, you know. Uh, I thought that, obviously, they didn't go vertical a whole lot in that one, but they went vertical a lot Saturday, you know, hit some hit, – actually hit some. And it's kind of funny, too, because the people that – I'm not saying this is you, USC 20, because you, you just kind of ask a question, and that's fine. I, if there's big issues with – the question you ask is that Will Muschamp's gone, Kurt Roper's been gone, Brian McClendon's been gone. You know, there's no reason for a point of comparison. If Shane Beamer made a mistake, it's Shane Beamer. It has nothing to do with Will Muschamp or Kurt Roper. And, and I don't see that so far. But you know, it's kind of funny that some of the criticism last week was they didn't get vertical. They didn't have a vertical passing attack. And that's, you know, a lot of people think that's the only way you can win games is to throw a chuck it deep. A lot of people think some quarterback play around here has been great just because they connected on a couple of deep balls. And then the other guys, you know, oh, they're terrible. Well, whatever. Um, but, hey, they went vertical Saturday a lot, probably enough for people. Uh, should be enough for their liking and, you know, with some success. But, you know, nobody talks about that. So, I don't know. But we'll see. I mean, I agree things have to get better. Because uh, the competition is about to get a whole lot tougher. All right. Thanks to Heritage Digital for sponsoring the first part of the show. Uh, give Matt a call at Heritage Digital. If your internet's running like crap and your system is bogging you down at work, uh, he can tell you, help you out with one low price. It's a free consultation. Also, thanks to iHelp Consulting. Uh, you know, please give Daniel a call with both of those sponsors. Please tell them that JC sent you, that you heard about it on the podcast. Otherwise, they don't know. Um, also, Cindy Searfoss, who's the sponsor of our predictions uh, show, Prediction Friday last week, probably back to Thursday this week, 864-414-5271, Cindy Searfoss, Coldwell, Coldwell Banker Kane Realtor, Spartanburg-based, back up in the hometown. A lot of people moving around the upstate, moving to the upstate. Give Cindy a call, and we thank her for her sponsorship all right that's all for today it was a big long episode uh we'll be back later in the week as we talk up the uh georgia game it's always a big game for south carolina when they play georgia and so we'll see we'll see what happens uh Cox are big underdogs points wise so we'll see kind of what happens anyway jc sherbert signing off appreciate appreciate each and every one of you listening hope you have a wonderful monday